How do you prioritize multiple passions, grown-up responsibilities like jobs and families, and jujitsu? What do you do when you feel like you've plateaued? How's your ego impacting your ability to improve your jujitsu? These are a few of the burning questions we had for BJJ Black Belt, Dominica Obolanita. And be sure you stick around to the end of this episode to hear the surprising mindset shift that she had after she received her black belt. To say that we're excited to learn from Dominica at Role Model Grappling Camp this summer would be a massive understatement because she is so intentional about teaching from multitude of body types. Camp is in Indianapolis from July 8th to the 10th, and it's filling up. Go to rolemodelswanted.com to sign up and get all the details. Claire North is another black belt that's going to be teaching at camp, and you can learn all about Claire and her jiu-jitsu philosophy in our previous episode. And if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Or if you want to share the podcast with a friend that needs to hear it, we've made a starter pack of episodes for you. It's kind of like the white belt episodes for listeners that are new to the show. It's made up of listener favorites and some of our most impactful episodes. And we've made it really simple to share. Just click the link in the show notes. If you're listening in Spotify, click on See More to get the show notes and links that we mention. And if you're listening in Apple, click on the episode and scroll down. No matter where you're listening, make sure that you're following the podcast so that you get new episodes as soon as they drop every other Thursday. Now let's roll into this week's conversation. Welcome to Beauty and the Gee, the podcast about jujitsu and so much more. I'm Jen Eads, a blue belt full of curiosity and questions about all the things jujitsu. And I'm AJ Clearman, a Brazilian jujitsu brown belt obsessed with jujitsu. I'm Jennifer Risser, a purple belt who never does warm ups. And we have a very special guest this week. We have Dominica Obolanita. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Great job at pronouncing my last name. Thank you. It's like, this is my one job for today. You did better than my principal did during my high school graduation. So Aww. applause for that. Applause for that. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I'm super excited for this podcast. Yeah, thanks for joining us. I kind of wish we had a white belt. We've got like all the ranks represented. <laughs> <laughs> Except Jen was a white belt for the first like three years of the podcast. But it's fine. I know. I'm barely a blue belt at this point. <laughs> I feel like I'm still fluctuating at times. <laughs> Same. Teetering. <laughs> Everything that we have heard about you is that you are just an amazing instructor. Like I have not heard a bad word about you. Oh my God. That makes me feel so great. That's actually... One of the first concerns I had when I became a full-time instructor, which I'm not right now, but when I was, was do I actually do a good job teaching or are my students too afraid to tell me I'm crap? But none <laughs> of them left. So I think that means something, right? Yeah, that does. And probably that's what makes you a good instructor is you were worried about being a bad one, right? So like you're yeah. really thinking about it. But yeah, I, the same thing. Like I hear everybody talk about how amazing of an instructor you are. That's amazing. You know what? Um, I'm going to be real honest with you guys. I think what helped me become a better teacher in general, because I've been doing like seminars or classes and things like that since I was a brown belt, but I haven't been consistently teaching since I was a brown belt. And when I actually got my black belt, that's when I started to become a better teacher because I stopped thinking that 
I had to put some sort of pride behind the moves that I showed. Like the moves are accessible to everyone. You can go on YouTube, you can look anything up and like five different people are showing you how to do something. No one lays claim to any one move. Like once you create it or once you show people it, it's out there for everyone to master and remaster. And I had to kind of set aside my ego a little bit and let other people come to me and be like, hey, I actually questioned this move that you showed me. Do you think it's going to work for my body type? Do you think it's going to work for my age? Do you think I could do it opponent against opponents that were really flexible or really big? Um, and I stopped taking that personally and started using that as a pathway into gearing up my jiu-jitsu for, to be in a position where it could apply to many different people and people from all kinds of walks of life. So I think maybe that's helped me become a better instructor for sure. That's amazing. It's going to make you a great instructor for role model camp too, because there will be 250 women there and all, you know, ages, sizes, you know, like everything. So that'll be great. Yeah, that's incredible. I'm so excited. I've actually been brainstorming this whole time leading up to this amazing camp. Um, What kinds of movements I could come up with that are that are pulling from my personal bread and butter, but are also going to be achievable by people who might be missing limbs or might be handicapped or might not be able to move the way they're comfortable moving or maybe they're not super young. So I'll I'll come up with some really cool things. I need something specifically for a 50-year-old new blue belt. That's (laughs) that's my request. (laughs) I've encountered so many new 50-year-old blue belts. It's so inspiring, but they're they're a handful for sure. (laughs) They're a malleable handful. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. I'm really excited. And so not only have we heard that you're an amazing instructor in general, like you were saying earlier, we've heard that you are very good at coaching all different sorts of body types and um, sort of changing things or modifying things for different body types. What do you think has led you to be so good at doing that? Well, first of all, I want you guys to write down an itemized list of all these phantom people that told you all that so I can (laughs) send out some thank you notes. Um, Second of all, I think that I think when it comes to coaching people of different body types, I've done so many seminars in my life. So I've definitely encountered people that can't, for example, they can't touch their toes, right? Or they can't sit up. Like that's difficult to do. I've taught seminars to people that can't use um, uh, half of their body for whatever reason. People that are missing limbs, again, or can't use their limbs. And you have to be very creative and you also have to, you kind of have to take uh, stock of what that person's limitations are and forget about them and think about what they do have available to them and how can they use those things as their strengths and help like multiply their strengths in a way. And I think also what has helped me in my, in my uh, competitive uh, career has been I'm a really big person. I'm really tall and I'm, I'm heavier than like a majority of women in jiu-jitsu And it is an advantage in some ways because it makes you stronger, quote unquote. I say stronger because like I fought Via Mosquito so many times and she's like super strong and she's tiny. She's like a couple feet smaller than me. But um, having to fight smaller women, I had to kind of figure out how to move my body according to their body so that they wouldn't be able to scramble out or get out of position so easily because smaller women, in my opinion, are the toughest women to fight in the absolute division because of how fast they are, how sharp they are, how they manage to just bring an elbow or a knee into any kind of passing position. 
So I would pull from their games a lot to see to study them and see how I could mitigate them and make sure that I could get the pass, which meant that I had a lot in my arsenal that's uh, fit small body types. And obviously, I have a really, I have really long legs and pretty long limbs, and I like to play around with long leggy games like De La Hiva and Spider Guard. So that just kind of came naturally in terms of trying to figure out ways for shorter legged or shorter limb people to approach those same positions and make them work with minor adjustments. Where are you like training or teaching out of now? Like what does your jujitsu look like currently? Oh my gosh, it is a whirlwind. Back in the late summer of 2021, I was in Portland, Oregon, teaching out of unicorn jujitsu for a couple months with my friend Hillary Van Ornum. That was a really awesome opportunity. I was using that as kind of a segue between moving out of New York, going to California, where I live right now. I live in Sacramento, and I had an opportunity to train at Uriah Faber's gym, Uriah Faber's Ultimate Fitness. It's such a really, really long name, <laughs> really redundant. But within like the first couple training sessions, I got to train with Uriah personally, and he offered me a job as an instructor at the gym, a sighting which I thought was really cool coming from a man that's focused on MMA. And, you know, MMA is still very much a boys club. It's starting to become more open towards women. But still, hearing somebody come from that world say that the gym needed more female energy was really cool. And why wouldn't a four-time Black Belt World Champion be the one to kind of take that on and bring that energy forward? And I was fully ready to go in guns blazing to teach at the gym But then because I had all this travel and all these seminars lined up, I wanted to be a committed instructor and not be wishy-washy, kind of telling people, yes, I'll train and then I'll be gone for two weeks, then a month and all of that. So I kept putting it off until I finally settled, had no real big travel plans coming up. And my second training session after I made that commitment to, okay, now we're going to actually start teaching I blew my ACL out, so I don't have an ACL anymore. Um, I'm waiting for news to uh, meet with the surgeon and finally schedule a surgery. So it's been a tough journey because I haven't been able to train train. I've been able to watch training, and I don't enjoy that yeah. a lot. <laughs> I've definitely been able to like learn from just watching and I've con- I didn't want to back out of any seminar commitments I made, so I've, I've been teaching seminars since then. And every month I see my knee getting a little bit stronger and a little bit more mobile and a little bit less unstable, which is really great, which means that I can continue to teach in small ways. But I know that once I get my surgery, I'm going to have to wait a little bit to go back to teaching. So that's the situation for right now. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear about that injury. It's so tough to have to just watch class and (laughs) kind of walk around, maybe help a little bit. But yeah, that's really hard. Oh, yeah, I don't enjoy it at all. And the one time I actually did volunteer to help in a class, which was not even too long ago, it was probably two months ago. I got a little carried away when my, my boyfriend or my partner, who's currently also teaching at the gym, asked if I would demonstrate a move that I do really well so that people could see how I do it. And it was a pass. And I was kind of like not really doing passes because when I rotate my, um, when I rotate my knee or my ankle, when the other joint stays in place, it really hurts. And as I was pivoting off of a knee cut, I felt like a really sharp pain go down my leg. And I kind of had to like 
butt scoot myself <laughs> to the side of the mat. Um, so uh, he was like, yeah, I don't think that you're going to be ready to teach teach anytime soon. Aww. That's tough. That's so sad. So how do you fill your time, the rest of your time now, since you're not really able to train much? So I, I feel like people think that jujitsu athletes who are super competitive uh, just stay like super competitive jujitsu athletes for the rest of their lives. But I would lived in New York, which is a really expensive city, and I had some pretty great bills to pay. So I have a job. Uh, I work for a tech company called Radish Fiction, and they produce uh, serialized romantic and fantasy fiction on an app. And you could just read as much as you want in whatever kind of category fits your interest. And I basically do marketing for them, which is really fun for me. It's a really fun job that I can do remotely and kind of make my own time. And besides that, I've been trying to work out consistently and get back into some sort of shape so that surgery is not going to like completely knock me on my butt. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to return to training pretty soon afterwards or maybe sooner than like the prescribed amount of months off. And the third portion of that is I finally given myself the opportunity to strongly focus on my art career, which I've always been putting off because it's one of those things like if you tell somebody you you want to be an actor, they kind of look at you like, okay, big dreams, <laughs> you got it, like go to Hollywood and do your thing. It's probably not going to happen. So I'm fully aware of like, how difficult of a road that is, but my also interest is beyond making money or being like a famous artist or anything like that. I just want to produce high quality work and make some sort of income from it because it's at the end of the day, it's something that I really love to do. I think people don't know that it's something that I probably love more than doing jujitsu and it satisfies my soul even more and it doesn't injure me. So that's, (laughs) (laughs) that's one portion of it. That's really great that I really love. And if I can find a way to blend the two, um, in any way, I would love to, I have a mural opportunity coming up in May at a, at a gym. That's like a jujitsu gym, weightlifting gym. So I'm excited about that. Um, and hopefully more projects like that to come in the future. So if you're a gym and you want me to do mural for you, I would be so excited. That's very cool. That would be very cool. Mm, yeah. How have you managed to balance like all of these passions that you have? How do you prioritize and, and kind of, I don't want to say balance because it never feels like there's everything's totally Ever. balanced. Yeah. But how, do, how have you kind of prioritized where your focus goes? Balance is is difficult to achieve because it always seems like one portion is lacking the attention that it needs. And I think it will always feel like that as long as you have more than one or two things like in your life. Uh, I'm sure like moms who work and also work out and also try to have a social life feel the same way, like trying to balance time with the kids, time with like their partner, time with their friends, time at work, all of that. So it's something that I think like all of us have to deal with on a, on a regular basis. And for me, I think I kind of, I, I got advice from a friend actually before I left for New York and she said to make a list of priorities in terms of like what came first, does art come first, does jiu-jitsu come first, does your job come first, does social life come first, like what comes first. And at first I, I went off of that, I started like, For example, if I decided that jiu-jitsu was my top priority, I would make sure that most of my day was, or at least the the greater portion of my day was dedicated to jiu-jitsu. 
um, and then everything else could take smaller slivers of the day. But I never found that that worked for me because I always felt like I'm not just interested in jujitsu. I'm also interested in these other things. And in no universe can you like make your job your last priority because then you'll get fired. <laughs> you're not gonna. That's not. You're not gonna have a job. You're not even gonna be able to put it on the priority list. So I have started doing this um, method that's been working out for me thus far, where I make uh, each day has a different slot for a priority. So let's say like Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, I'm my priority number one is my job. Like 100%. I wake up. That's the first thing I do. I dedicate most of my time to that day to my job. And I'll even do more work than I need to for the day. So that on a day when it's not my number one priority, I can do. uh, it won't seem like I'm super far ahead. And then let's say Tuesdays and Thursdays, my priority is art. Then most of my day is dedicated to art. Whether that's creating something, applying for something, writing something editing my website, um, trying to network with people, that's where the priority goes to. And as you add more things to the list, it's going to be very difficult to like maintain it. And I think if something is calling you, like if you think you need to do more work for your job, or if you think you really need to keep working on a painting, or if you think you really need to take an extra 30 minutes to drill after class, you should do it. And then you should just figure out how to balance out later out in the week. And also be very careful of burnout because if you feel like everything that you're doing in that day is making you feel stressed, like you have too much on your plate, you're just going to have to cut down overall how much time you give to each item that you prioritize and then use that remainder time to relax and just find something that is equivalent to self-care for you. And for me, like I used to think that self-care was laying in bed watching Netflix, playing a little game on my phone, eating potato chips. Um, I think we've all been there. And I'm uh, the older I grow, the more I realize that's not true. Like self-care activity should be something that makes you feel good and makes you feel uh, healthy, like makes you internally feel nice and balanced, which when I'm just laying down all day, I feel super lethargic and sluggish and not productive. And those are not super positive emotions. So I like to take time out of my day to cook, like make, spend more time making like a fun meal or like a fun dessert or something like that. Go outside, go for a hike, dedicate some time to go out in nature, go work out, like go ride a bike for a little while, um, get the sun on your face, things like that. You talked a little bit or like you briefly mentioned burnout and like doing some self-care and stuff. So I like I had a couple students yesterday that were talking to me about their they're both white belts, but they feel like they've plateaued. They feel like they're not improving. And as a coach, I can tell them that they are. But like, what advice would you give to somebody at that space where they feel like I'm not getting anywhere? It's hard to take yourself out of yourself and look at yourself from a third person perspective. But I always I even, I go through the same thing. I have there's so many times in my life where I look at where I am in my jujitsu and I'll think, oh goodness, I'm not progressing at all. I'm actually going back to where I was when I was a blue belt. I'm making those mistakes again. And that's so unfortunate. Like, will I ever be able to be as good as like some of the greatest in the world? And I think the easiest thing to think of is like, are you better than you were a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, when you first started? You're definitely better than when you first started. So you should maybe use that as your measuring parameter 
rather than other people or what kind of maybe your expectations are of yourself that aren't super realistic. I think maybe nowadays, I don't, I'm not sure this is true across every person or every generation, but I think nowadays a lot of us feel like we should be instantly good at something, especially if you're good at something in another part of your life. You kind of expect that you'll be extra good at this new thing that you start really quickly. And that's just not true. You're going to have to put in the work. And sometimes it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be pretty. And it's going to feel like a chore. But as long as you keep showing up, you're going to have evidence stacked against you to show you how much better you are than that first day you decided to take that thing on. Yeah, that's very helpful. We actually had some listener questions. Oh, great. Hop into those. Oh, cool. Yay. Thanks, listeners. (laughs) (laughs) So Summer Hannah wanted to know, what's your motivation for training? Okay. Oh, man. My motivation for training is probably I'm going to use when I definitely don't want to train what my motivation for training is. It's usually me lying to myself and being like, okay, it's not going to feel good, but you're going to feel so good afterwards. Just think about how amazing you're going to feel after. <laughs> and that usually works because after training, I'm like, I'm so happy I came. Yeah, my friends are there. I have endorphins flowing. I'm sweaty. We got to take cool pictures. Like, it feels good. But before the fact, it feels like nothing can drag you through the door. So just think about the end result and how happy you're going to be after the fact. And everything else is just noise in the middle. I love that. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> Never regret training. You know, you're always yeah. glad you went. I like that. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Even when you tear your ACL on the mats. Never, <laughs> Never regret training. Have you ever wanted to quit? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. So many times. I, funnily enough, refer to jiu-jitsu as, like, my first wife or, like, my first husband um, <laughs> because so many times and be like, leave me alone. I don't want to deal with you. But you always got to come back. You always got to work it out. Um, And usually you find out it's not jujitsu or your partner that's the problem. It's yourself and the way that you're approaching things. That's the issue and something within yourself needs to change. I wanted to quit super severely when I was like in eighth grade, I remember talking to my dad about it and kind of begging him because he was the one he was like the most not the motivating factor. He was like the guy with the shotgun that was like, you're going to go to training. Uh, you got to <laughs> learn. Um, and I was like, no, I really don't want to. Like, this is so miserable. I'm so unhappy. And he was like, well, if you live in my house, you got to train. So that was that. And I slowly started to develop more love for jujitsu as I continued to grow older and started to have more freedom with my training. And I didn't have like my dad or my coaches kind of just watching everything that I was doing and having a commentary running behind it. Mm-hmm. So once that happened, and this is a great to hear if you're a parent, maybe try not to be that for your child and let the coach take the reins if they're a good coach and find a better coach if the coach isn't doing their job. Um, but then as I grew older, I just started to see the merits of jujitsu. I started to just find a lot of respect for the flow that it inspires from person to person the connectivity it encourages between your training partners and the people at your gym and even the outside world. Um, and just like the physical, the physical kind of gravity of it, because you are simulating murder, like <laughs> that's what's happening. But you guys in that moment, even if you don't like the person you're training with, you have to trust them to not kill you 
or hurt you in any way that's like you can't come back from it. Um, and it's pretty great. It's like I think it's very similar to when animals that aren't fighting are just grappling playfully because it it builds bonds and it builds trust and it creates this feeling of um, not to be too existential, but like you do have some control in your hands with how the world works. The world isn't as big, is only as big and scary as you let it be that big and scary. You will be able to do something to kind of help protect yourself or help guide things a little bit in your favor because you have this extra knowledge. I love it. You have another listener question? Yeah, sure. Uh, Ray Lore wanted to know, she has a two-part question. What is your biggest jujitsu struggle that you've had to overcome and what's your recovery regimen? Ooh, I guess my biggest struggle was, I have, I guess I have two. My biggest struggles have been usually coming back from injury. When I tore, I tore my shoulder in like 2016, I tore the labrum off the bone, um, which meant that I had a 95% chance of dislocating my shoulder every time I trained. So I had to get it reattached and the surgery put me out for like six to eight months. It was really tough. Um, I couldn't. There's very little that I could do. I couldn't run. I couldn't jump. I couldn't do, I couldn't bike. Like I couldn't do anything that involved rotating my shoulder in any way. Like my shoulder had to be plastered to, or my arm rather had to be plastered to my body to keep my shoulder mobilized, which meant that there's like very little physical activity you can do besides like squatting. There's only so many squats you can do before you're like, I'm so done with this. This is, I don't even know what this is. The butt's not worth it. The big booty ain't worth it. (laughs) So just coming back from that, like I definitely found myself in a, in a pretty deep depression after it because I got it almost right before, um, college cut out for the summer. So I had a whole summer of just kind of like, what do I do? I'm not, I'm not sure what to do. And when, when you have your body taken away from you when you're a jiu-jitsu practitioner, that's your tool set and you can't do it anymore. And if your personality is tied in with jiu-jitsu, then you kind of become depersonalized and you float around in space not really knowing what your purpose is or who you are or what you're supposed to do because your main form of identity has been taken from you. So that's when I started to really focus on exploring all my other little passions like I started uh when I started to feel better but still couldn't really use my arm I started to uh work on dancing and practicing dancing started to work on art I started to study like music production things like that and just venture into other interests that I know that I had like deep inside me but I never let myself try because I was like who has the time like you're never going to be good enough at this like actually produce something of value but I let myself try and I'm really glad that I did because it like helped me become more open to trying new things and uh, be okay with kind of failure. And the I guess the second hardest thing to overcome was leaving my gym, like leaving Marcello's when I was, I want to say 19. Yeah, I think so. When you're a, a young adult, like a very young adult, still in your teens technically, it's very difficult to make all the right decisions without letting your emotions get involved because you're, I mean, you're young, right? Like you're, you're not like fully developed yet. You're still trying to figure out who you are and you want people to respect you and treat you right and treat you fairly. And you don't really always communicate in the best way. 
And leaving, leaving Marcellus was a really great decision overall because it just led me to where I am now. And I received so many opportunities after the fact that were really great for me and great for my development. But going through that a period of time where you leave a gym that a lot of people revere and then people assume that there's something wrong with you, even though you kind of are like, I don't have a problem with the gym. I just have a problem with like one or two people that aren't even at the gym anymore. And then people start to make assumptions and they there's gossip and people start treating you differently. I just really opened my eyes that... Um, even though jiu-jitsu is a really small community, it's still a community and communities gossip and communities have like internal conflict. And I use, I was so used to being somebody who was never kind of in trouble with the jiu-jitsu community. Everyone just kind of was like, great job. You did it again. You won again. Good work. <laughs> <laughs> like pat on the back that when I left, I didn't realize that it. some people would take uh, it so personally and take such offense to it. Um, and you know what? I've, I found out that, like, my real friends are the ones who didn't care and the ones who, the people who really did care about me and really knew that I made those decisions for the right reasons were the ones that are still in my life today, which I'm super grateful for. Yeah, so those are the two things that were the most difficult. And what was that second question? Because I already forgot it. <laughs> it was your what, what's your recovery regimen oh okay yeah so different <laughs> two different <laughs> for recovery I used to be um very on top of my stuff maybe a little bit too on top of my stuff I did a lot of yoga a lot of mobility training a lot of pilates because I did become a certified instructor maybe like four years ago so I was teaching pilates as well really love Pilates. It's so good for your alignment, so good for core strength. Um, but I was doing yoga, Pilates, mobility training. I was going to see a woman for massage and cupping. And I even managed to get a sponsorship by like a physical therapy office where they offered me a session of acupuncture, a session of massage therapy, and a session of PT just for shouting them out, which was amazing. And I was doing that all the time. And then COVID happened nah. and all that went out the window. When COVID happened, I started to really focus on just working out. And then my recovery just became stretching often, doing mobility exercises on days that I wouldn't be working out a lot or lifting a lot. And now I would say that my recovery, because I'm, I'm not really training, is just kind of letting myself take a rest when I need it. When your body's asking for it, you should take a rest. When you're injured you should take a rest. I've never seen, the only time I've ever seen not taking rest when you're injured work out is when somebody in a boxing fight or an MMA fight where they make a lot of money, you don't make a lot of money doing jujitsu, <laughs> decides to continue on with the match and then they win by the skin of their teeth. Okay, I can understand that. Don't take time off. Keep fighting through the pain. But if you're not getting your next paycheck from that medal at grappling industries, you shouldn't <laughs> you shouldn't compete with that like dislocated arm or your sprained knee or anything like that. So just listen to your body when it's telling you you need to rest. That's so important and something that I try to work on. Work <laughs> <laughs> on it as well. Honestly, it's hard. Yeah, it's very hard. 
One more listener question? Yeah. Time? Yeah, one more. Okay, so Jack Balfour wanted to know if there have been any pivotal mindset shifts in your jujitsu journey that have changed your perspective on anything, whether it be training, competition, life, etc. Oh, that's such a good that's such a good question. So many. So many. Hmm. I think the one that is like most coming to my mind is um Remember when I was just talking about being an instructor and getting my black belt, kind of changing my perspective on teaching? I think getting my black belt was the most important thing to have happened to my mindset. And I think a lot of people are like, yeah, yeah, you get your black belt and you become like, you become this master and you're so good at everything and you're the best instructor and people just respect you. And I don't care about any of that added like bonus. I think there's so many black belts out there that suck and shouldn't be black belts just because they're horrible people (laughs) so black belt like it's just a piece of cloth around your waist but because when I got my black belt I knew that it was the end of the line for some time like I know degrees matter but there wasn't going to be a new belt for a really long time and it's uh, what stopped mattering to me was this idea that I had to be the very best I kind of looked at it as um, I was receiving another white belt and then I would have to be able to let go of my ego and let other people teach me because I had nowhere to go but to grow now. I didn't have to worry about getting my brown belt or my purple belt or anything like that or fitting into a certain category at a competition. It was basically like you're there, you made it to to the ending point, so now what? And I really used it as an opportunity to just learn as much as I could from people. When I got my black belt, I finally started being okay tapping to things, finally started being okay receiving advice from people. I had a really hard time receiving advice from people that had lower belts than me when I was um, younger because sometimes it's unfounded. Sometimes it's a blue belt telling you how to armbar him when you're already like halfway through. (laughs) That's just ridiculous and stupid, you know? Uh, (laughs) so helpful (laughs) but sometimes I'd have like for example I had a student of mine who's a purple belt great guy amazing guy him and his wife both trained with me they're both purple belts and they were both break dancers and he would always bring up new moves that I didn't necessarily do uh that were everything relating to inversion and I I don't have back problems I don't want to have back problems And I'm a very big girl, so inversion is not an impossibility, and I do do it, and I have been involved people before, especially when they're just standing for too long, and I hate it. (laughs) But he was so well-versed in that game, and I had to sit down with him a couple of times and just ask him to show me things and ask him to show me how I could possibly build a game with a Barambolo. And I don't think I ever would have done that if I was like a brown belt or a purple belt because my ego was just at operating at its all-time high, And I think you kind of have to have an ego when you're a competitor, because if you fully put it to the side, then you don't really care about what you're doing and you don't really care about the victory. You just kind of care about existing and having fun, um, which is fine, too. But if your goal is to be a champion or if your goal is to win a tournament, then you should have it on a little bit. But when I got the chance to finally turn it off, I noticed that there was a whole world of moves and of interactions that were just at my fingertips that I never accessed because I was too busy thinking about 
how important I was. And when I stopped thinking that, I was like, wow, everybody has something of value to offer and every interaction is special. And I should just treat everybody that comes into my life that has respect for me with the same respect. And hopefully I could learn from them and hopefully they could learn from me. That's awesome. I'm so excited to have you teach at Role Model Camp. And I know there are a lot of other people very excited to have you there. Me, me. Yeah. <laughs> when, when we were like getting everything set up, there was like a little bit of a buzz going where everyone was like, is it going to be Donika? <laughs> yeah. You have no idea how much that warms my heart. That is so special. Thank you guys so much for including me. I'm so excited to be a part of this. Yeah, I'm excited for you to come out and check it out. Like it's uh, role model camp is like no other, you know, like it's pretty um, all inclusive. <laughs> it's very unique. I've heard that it's very unique. Yes. So I'm very excited to be part of a yes. unique experience. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Hillary had come out a couple of years ago and taught in, in 2020. So, you know, in the year of <laughs> year <laughs> of yeah. the bit, oh. <laughs> yeah, where can people contact you or get in touch with you? Um, what social media is that kind of stuff? So many places, but number the primary ones are if you want to follow me on Instagram, my username is at Dom the Bomb Your Mom. The spelled D A, uh, your spelled U R. <laughs> you can just look up my <laughs> name and it's right there. And then for anyone that doesn't know, I'm actually on a really wonderful platform called Champ Chat that was actually created by a student of mine, my second black belt ever, which I'm very proud of. Um, it's a platform where you can go on it and you can pay for video or message interactions with me, which means that you have the ability to ask me about moves, about mindset, about anything relating to what you need help with in your jujitsu journey or even your personal journey. And I am here to answer those questions for you. So that link is in my bio on my Instagram, or you could also look up www.chamchat.com slash my name. I'm going to put that in the show notes. Yeah, thank you. One more thing. Where can they go check out your art? Because I I might have found it, but I don't you remember what the website it. was. I might have found it. I might have looked around. And it's incredible. It really <laughs> is cool. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm not used to advertising for my art on Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. <laughs> Um, my art website for anyone that's interested is www.dominica, my first name, dash art.com. Dominica, my first name, dash art.com. And all the pieces, except for the ones that have already been sold, which I didn't write that they are sold already. So just message me if you want to buy them are for sale. All right. See, that's why we say it's jujitsu and so much more. That's right. That's right. <laughs> And you can find us hanging out on Instagram at Beauty and the Gee Podcast, where you can always send us questions. Because, I mean, based on the questions that we had submitted for this, I'm like, I think we'll just uh, let all the listeners ask the questions because theirs are way better than mine. And it makes <laughs> my life so much easier. <laughs> so we are hanging out at Beauty and the Gee Podcast. I'm also out there on uh, Instagram at Brassy Broad Jen. And I'm AJ Clearman everywhere you go. And I'm Jayriz in the His on Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on, on the, the mat. mat. Beauty in the Ghee is brought to you by Role Model Grappling Camp. Visit RoleModelsWanted.com to learn more. This podcast is a production of the Brassy Broadcasting Company. Visit BrassyBroad.com to work with Jen when you're ready to start your podcast.